deals. And Bonds hit from high. It's a game. It is out of here. 3-2 to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight and the Mets win it. Halliday is one strike away. The 0-2. A bouncer. Ruiz. In time. Roy Halliday has thrown a no-hitter. Steal a little summoning from you, Dave. Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing it a long drive. Deep left field. Going, going. Dean one on the line. That would be a line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another episode of the Show Baseball Podcast. Uh, as always, it is your host, Rai Rai, joined once again by Chris, a.k.a. Schwebzy. Hi, friends. Ready to get into it another week, this time on Friday, because... Uh, uh, I was at Nats Park on Wednesday for the watch party, so that was uh, that was cool and, and fun. And we'll get to the games a little bit later, but we have the second to last post mortem of the season, and you just hate yeah, to see I, it. I guess, you just hate to I, see it. Well, I guess it's going to be one more moratorium and then one more celebration, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, uh, hate, really hate to see you it. You really hate, hate to see it. Hate to talk about this team's failures. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you guys haven't gotten it already, we're talking about the New York Yankees. I think my my favorite constantly repeated statistic is how this is the first decade in the history of the franchise, or just since like the the early years. I don't know. First, first since decade in a I believe the nineteen tens. Yeah, the nineteen tens. Yeah, yeah. That the Yankees did not at least appear in a World Series. Just hate to see it, man. Really terrible. I feel very bad right now. If you can't tell, yeah, absolutely hate it. You really just—it's just awful. I feel bad for them. You know, a team really, that has like, seen seen so little success. I couldn't say right. They, they've gone face. through such such hard times. Uh, yeah. Really, uh, not not many things good. Not many good things happen to this franchise. Uh, not a lot of success. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's very very sad when they fail. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as a Met fan, seeing the Yankees fail is my second favorite thing after seeing the Mets succeed. Okay. So, I was going to say uh, watch the Phillies lose, but... <laughs> no, no. Hey, uh, you know what it is? It's because I know a lot of Yankee fans. I don't okay. know many Philly fans, so I don't have to hear about the Phillies much. But the Yankees, I hear about all the time. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, do you want to get into a little bit of breakdown about why it didn't end well for them? All right, so start with the good. They were the second-best offensive team in baseball, uh, going by offensive runs. They were the sixth-best pitching team in baseball, going by XFIP. And you would think that was good, uh, and it is. But the reason that they were the sixth-best team in pitching is interesting. They were only 12th overall in starting pitching, but 4th overall in relief pitching. 
Mm-hmm. Now, their, their starting pitching, uh, they only had one starting pitcher eclipse 165 innings, and they had zero pitchers reach 185, which is weird enough for a team that good. Yeah. But it's when you dig down, it gets even more strange. Now, well, let's look at the two teams that are left, the Nationals and the Astros. Uh, they have six or seven aces between them, right? Yeah. On the flip side, the Yankees were fifth in the MLB in percentage of innings pitched by their bullpen. So you take their total innings pitched divided by the uh, you know number of innings that their bullpen pitched, they're yep. fifth in baseball. So the teams around them in that statistic or above them are the Rays, obviously, because the Rays just, you know, they, they succeed in spite of everything saying they shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but other than the Rays, it's the Angels, the Blue Jays, the Mariners, and then just under the Yankees are teams like the Tigers, the Orioles, the Rangers, the Pirates, the Padres, and I don't know if you can see a trend here, but those are all of the most feudal teams in baseball. So it's super weird that the Yankees were so successful while leaning that heavily on their bullpen. They also had a really good bullpen with length to it, too, I believe, looking at their roster. They did. did. For for 2019, uh, a year when bullpens were super unreliable, they had probably the deepest bullpen in baseball i mean what britain sessa chapman green um knile yeah ac uh or however you pronounce it and they didn't even have the guy who might be their best reliever batanzas all year long yeah he went down in what august early september Uh, he, he basically didn't pitch this year, I don't think. Like, uh, I can I can look it up real quick, but he he pitched very few innings this year. Uh, what is it? Point two. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Batanzas didn't pitch this year effectively. Yeah. He uh, he pitched fewer innings than Mike Ford. Oh wow. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, That's not what you want. Not what you want. But they had an unbelievable amount of good bullpen arms mm-hmm. and smartly allocated their team's innings towards them. And, I mean, it's the sign of a smartly run organization where you take your strength and you lean on it. They didn't have the best starting pitching. They had really good bullpen, so they let the bullpen pitch more. Makes sense. But yeah. does, does that lead to postseason failure? I don't I don't know. I they had I I don't like to give them excuses because you know they are the Yankees. Sorry. Sorry Yankees fans. But they had a lot of injuries all year and they kept having guys come up and succeed every time they needed somebody to come up and succeed for the most part and I just think the clock struck midnight on Cinderella. Yeah. Honestly, I I don't think I can yeah, I follow a uh, I follow a Twitter account called MLB Home Runs. Yeah, that it just tweets out every time anybody in Major League Baseball hits a home run. So uh, in 2019, my phone was just blowing up constantly. But anytime my phone lit up and it was like a Mike Ford home run, a Mike Touchman home run, 
uh, or Shella hitting a home run or uh, who else? Maven, anybody. Yeah, Maven Just, having a career year out of nowhere. Completely insane. And it, it was it's infuriating as someone who doesn't like the Yankees seeing every single person who shouldn't succeed, succeed. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It was just crazy, and, and you know, I I honestly I just think the clock struck midnight on them at probably yeah. the worst time. So if you're looking at their team, like their their season overall, so there are one and two spots in WAR for the season are LeBayhu and Judge, and I mean, who saw an an MVP caliber season from LeBayhu coming? But uh, you know, Judge, you expect that he had like four and a half WAR in 102 games, which is wild. That's basically an MVP pace if he uh, if he played the full season. And then after those two, you have Glaber Torres, another one. You you know you'd expect him up there. He's very talented. But then after that, Brett Gardner, Gio Urshela, Mike Touchman, like come on, all of these guys put up way way better seasons than you would have expected coming into the year. Yeah, and you know, I might ca- I might clutch flag for saying this, but I just kind of thought of it. It honestly reminds me a little bit of the 2013 Braves, where they had all of these mid-tier prospects come up and succeed at the major league level, and everybody thought it was going to lead to major league success because they all had career years, and the next year it all fell apart. Well, with the Yankees, I don't know if it will go that way because, it, I mean... Short porch. In, not not just Sorry. short porch, but Sorry. in... Uh, I love short porch jokes. It's literally one of my favorite uh, baseball running, running jokes. Me too. But um, in theory, next year, you have a full year of Touchman, a full mm-hmm. year of um, G- uh, Giancarlo Stanton, full year of Judge, full year of maybe Frazier although I don't know you know I don't I I think they're kind of overstacked in the outfield but yeah I mean you can absolutely see where like the 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 holes are going to be plugged and where that that surprising production might just get replaced by expected production yeah it's it's entirely possible and you know I I wrote this down and I, I just have to say it too it's also the Yankees these guys seem to just have the resources to fix all of their problems anytime they need to. It's insane. That's why it's infuriating when Gio Urshela is amazing. They don't. Yeah, need that's help. fair. That's fair. Don't that's help fair. Them. They don't need help. Yeah, they don't need help. Yeah, that's that's. Oh, that's accurate. But so they have the resources, and that includes development. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Yankee fan then you're arguing, well, we developed those guys. You know, they, they didn't come out of nowhere for no reason. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you have to wonder, is that going to start extending to their younger players? See, here's the thing. If you look at their top really eight prospects, even though they only have three in the top 100, all of them, and I still think some of the guys between four and eight in their organization could be in the top 100, they're all really good, pl- solid players and look like they're going to be solid players. The problem is, is if you look deeper in the scouting reports on them, they all have one big glaring flaw. Debbie Garcia doesn't have a third pitch, doesn't have a lot of stamina as a starter, um, is also 5'9", can throw a really mean fastball and curveball, but does that mean your number one prospect that you thought was going to be a starter, which is why you traded Sheffield to the Mariners for Paxton, now didn't develop a third pitch this year, and now it's looking like he's going to have to move to the bullpen. 
So that hurts your prospect jet depth. You've got it. Yeah. It upsets me when someone that I completely dwarf, I, I'm six, three for the record. It upsets me when someone I dwarf throws a hundred. Yeah. Just, yeah. As, as a tall person bothers me. Yeah. You know, Yeah, but I don't know. I'm I'm Sorry, the same I height. You yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. I'm the same <laughs> height as him, so I'm like I'm actually like a, probably an inch taller than him, but it just threw so me off for a second. You, imagine if you came in pumping BBs. Yeah, imagine if I threw 101 out of the bullpen, right? Um, you've got Jason Dominguez who can hit in field, but at what level is he going to be able to do it? Uh, he's projected. He's, a lot of hype. He's projected as a 50 in both of those. So. Is he going to be, you know, one of those guys who is projected to do that and actually do it, or is that being hopeful, you know? And they all talk about his upside, and he's a well above average runner who could do thirty for thirty, but he's still got to hit the ball at some point. Would you rather a prospect who is a fifty in several areas, or just has one massive tool, a la Pete Alonso? I think you need a balance of both. Yeah. I th- I honestly think you do because sometimes those guys come up and surprise you. They will develop a second tool at a much much higher than projected level. Um look at Trey Turner who was going to be a slap hitter who couldn't hit doubles and home runs. Um Yeah. But on the flip side, uh look at someone like well actually actually this does feed into your point. Look at someone like Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil was pure contact and then he came up and the contact like being so good at that one thing kind of allowed the other things to flourish because he already had that bankable skill so it gave him the opportunity and that opportunity led to more. Total total non sequitur here. Watch Pete Alonso develop better defense next year. He was he was actually not bad. Watching him every day and the numbers kind of support it. Like, yeah. Uh, you get dinged quite a bit uh, as a first baseman for uh, defensive statistics. Like, they, they just immediately knock, like, 10 runs off of you for the season. Yeah. Just for being a first baseman. But just imagine so, him getting better. I think he's going to get better because he knows he can hit, he's succeeded at the major league level in hitting, and he can now focus on defense. Well, so that's why people around New York are so enthusiastic about him, because he's the kind of guy that will work on his defense even though yeah, he has absolutely. no reason to actually do that. Absolutely. Um, and and this kind of actually goes into uh, Estevan Florial, who gets huge props from the system. Um, his walk rate went up from 8% to 13%. His strikeout rate only dropped from 27% to 25%. And this is a contact guy. Yeah, but twenty five percent plays in two thousand nineteen though. That's true. That we're in the we're in the three true outcomes era. Um, the biggest complaint I have seen about him from multiple scouts is his base running instincts are god awful. How about health? Um, been hurt a couple times, but health is a skill. Got to be on the field. It is. To you have to be on the field. Um, I don't know. It's. I think so, I think he's gonna hit, but I don't think he's gonna be as big of a hit as uh... the Yankees. Young yeah. players seem to come in waves, and then they get a wave. They build around the wave, and then that wave gets older, and eventually is replaced by a new wave years down the line. I wonder if maybe not next season, maybe not twenty twenty one, but 
2022 or so, you're gonna, you're going to see this wave of arms hit. The, all all of these 2021 20, yeah. year olds in the Yankee system that people rave about, and I, I wonder if that's when you're going to see like the next Yankees dynasty start to be built. And and that's why I brought up four through eight because they do have those guys. They have uh, Luis Gill, who's fourth. Um, he's sitting just outside the top uh, 100. He was hurt. He's been hurt twice, but he's finally healthy, and his fastball's back up to 101. If he can stay healthy with a 70 fastball, a 60 curveball, and a 50 changeup, there's your next flamethrower out of the back of the bullpen. Um, they That'll have play. They have Anthony Siegler, who is supposed to be a lot better defensive catcher. Um, he's going to develop into a gold glove catcher, but can also hit. You know, it's just all of these guys have flaws that they need to work out in the farm system. And, you know, the last time they developed some of these fringe guys like they have, the 90s dynasty happened. Yeah. And I hate that I'm talking so positively about the Yankees, but really. Yeah. So next year, uh, I'm thinking about next year's Yankees team. Yeah. Who are who are they going to lose? What holes do they need to fill? They're going to lose Encarnacion just because he's got a twenty million team option, I believe. Yeah, they're it's not club. picking that up. It's no, they're not. Uh, you know, he's very loved around the clubhouse, but he was not actually that good. He hit a handful of dingers, which can you know mask uh, not producing that well. But really, he was not that great. Yeah, uh, especially for a one dimensional player. Mm-hmm. There's already reports coming out that Chapman is going to walk. And on the one hand, you can argue that they're so stacked in the bullpen, it doesn't matter. But what did we say before? They leaned hard on that bullpen. So losing one of the biggest arms in that pen is a bigger blow to them than you would think, given all their bullpen talent. Yeah, and and even if... I think he's going to re-sign in, in, in New York and rehab with them in Batances, too. But he might not be able to give you innings until August, do you, do you think Batantis comes back? I, I think he's comfortable in New York and wants to stay there through his injury recovery. I because it, it is tricky for a pitcher to recover from an Achilles injury on your plant foot. Now, I know it's been years, but I do remember there was a time when there was a lot of friction between Batantis and the Yankees franchise. Yeah. Uh, he always wanted to be the closer, never got the chance for, for a while there. So I do wonder if he's... So let's say Chapman does come back. If Chapman comes back, that effectively means Batances is never going to be the closer for the New York Yankees. I wonder if he wants the opportunity to be the man somewhere else. Yeah. So I, I, the, the people I've spoken to who are uh, who pay a lot of attention to the Yankees, they feel like DD's gone. Yeah, I feel like he is too. And he's missed a lot of time with injury but when he's been healthy he has he's mashed for the yankees he is a hard pull hitter and as a hard pull hitter in yankee stadium that means a lot of dingers yeah i'm i'm gonna make up i'm gonna make up an award right now he is my front runner for the dj dj lemayhu 2020 award he's he's the he's the award winner for the right the, the left half of the field doesn't exist award yeah, right. He's uh 
I, I think legitimately he's going to be one of those guys that somebody gives him a two- or three-year deal, and it's like, why did you give it to him? And then he has that DJ Mayhew first year, and they're like, oh, that's why. I think he needs the right stadium. I think he does, too. I don't, I don't, so I don't know like stadium dimensions enough off the top of my head to like, you know, name specific ones. But if he goes to a stadium with, say, a, a, a deep right field line or deep right center, eh, he might really disappoint. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hot take. I think, I think he might go back to Cincy. That'd be interesting. Um, but although, aren't they pretty locked in in the infield? Kind of. Senzel, uh, they like Peraza a lot over there. Suarez, Vado. Yeah, they have Suar. They have Suarez at, at third and um, Vado at first, but they uh, were platooning Peraza and Iglesias this year. Peraza, I forgot about. Uh, oh Iglesias, no, no, I didn't yeah. forget Peraza. I forgot Iglesias. That's what I forgot. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do. Uh, I wonder if there's a spot for him. Yep. Yeah, it's but gonna yeah. be interesting. And, and, and then the other guys are the losing fringe guys. Are- yeah, kind of inconsequential. Like, yeah. Garen and Hale. Like, I mean, what are they, like, the ninth and tenth best relievers on the team? Yeah, Garn- Gardner and Mabin, same Gardner. up there. I-, I think they bring Gardner back to be a fourth outfielder. Yeah, it's possible. Or maybe start again. Who knows? Dude was awesome this year, unexpectedly. And uh, also, you've got Cameron Mabin leaving. Ah, you- when someone does that well out of nowhere, I always wonder if the team's going to like bring him back. Like, uh, I think we had this discussion with Travis Darno and the Rays. Like, I, 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 I'm leaning towards the Rays retaining him if he doesn't cost too much because, you know, he just he had his renaissance there. Why would he want to leave? Yeah. Unless money. It, money. Money is money is the answer. But the Yankees do have money to throw at people, um, too. Let's not forget they are the Yankees. Yeah, but is Maven going to cost that much? Probably pop, not. Probably not. Um, and I know they they did like him as early before the injuries happened. Really liked him as a defensive replacement late in games. Yeah, and I mean, being a defensive replacement that also happens to mash, it's a pretty, you know good player to have. Yeah, it is. Um, so my my question, because this is the question a lot of Yankees fans have asked so far this offseason. Do they trade Stanton if they can get him to waive his no-trade clause? I I don't know if the question is will they as much as it is can they? I think some teams have some really bad short-term contracts the Yankees would be willing to take on. Oof, I, I don't know. I like they're They're in kind of a weird spot. I don't know if they can... I don't know if they can take on bad contracts and still contend the way they want to this year. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just popped in my head. Uh, the Giants. You know, I mean, I, I can see Stanton playing well there. Yeah. And... Uh, I, I think he's old enough. I, I think he's old enough to uh, be a target of the Giants. But he, he's he's what is he? Twenty seven, twenty eight. Yeah, he's he's old enough. Yeah. Giants yeah. love their old players. They do. They really do. Um, but yeah, yeah. I I don't know. It's going to be such a weird off season. So many teams. But then we also said that last year. Um, it, you know, 
about it and it was really slow outside of like a week in December. So Yeah. I, I do I think it's gonna be a very interesting off season in yeah. general. And a lot of Yankee fans are like torches and pitchforks. If we don't get coal, it's a failure of an off season. Kinda of like if we don't get the World Series, it's a failure of a season. So uh, I'm actually kind of giddy because there's a lot of opportunity for this to be an abysmal offseason for the Yankees. If they don't get coal, people are going to be tearing down the fences of Yankee Stadium. But speaking of Garrett Cole, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's he, talk about what's going on right now, the World Series. Yeah, I pitched, pitched game one of the World Series. Um, Not great. Did, I was scared, actually, when they went up to nothing early. Um and then gave up the two solo home runs in back-to-back innings. And the Nats got to him in the fifth inning. Well, so that starting game script, like Cole on the mound, early two-run lead. like That's exactly where Nats- the Astros want to be. Right. Every single Nats fan should have had like... I, know, was, I was like, oh no, not, no, fight. God, this is, this is, this is happening. This is, oh, this the, is script, <laughs> the script is being played, you know? Oh Lord, oh and one, where are coming? Yeah. But, uh, but they had to play the rest of the game. Yeah, they did. And uh, it was way, way, way close. You know, the final score ended up being 5-4. The Nats went up 5-2 at one point. The bullpen just gave up some some hard contact there. Uh, and they had to use uh, Hudson for four outs and then Doolittle for four outs um, across the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. And But they got the job done. And... The Astros, and I think this is going to be the story, especially if the Nats do the thing, because I'm refusing to call it what it is. The story's... (laughs) Jared Kalinick. (laughs) Um, It's going to be the the struggle of the Astros with runners in scoring position. Yeah, I think after so, game one, they were down to 160 batting average with runners in scoring position in October. Yeah, and in that game one, they left 11 on base to the Nationals four. Yeah. And, uh, you know, w- w- the the Nationals won by one run. So, I mean, you could argue, like, I mean, the Astros had every chance to pull ahead in that game, and they just did not take advantage of it. Yeah. and And that's the thing with it is... They got so close to being able to take advantage of it, but they never had the big hit with runners on on base. It was the solo home runs or and the doubles. I, I I was watching that game, and I remember feeling during the game like the Astros had it, or they should have had it, and yeah. it just it it just didn't happen. And I was looking through baseball savants uh, X stats like they're they're like expected batting average on each hit and it kind of played out that way uh if you look at the four hardest hit outs of the game three of them were late game astros outs so i don't i don't even think it's that they were doing badly like sometimes the ball just doesn't roll your way yeah, like, uh, I, that that Aledmus Diaz out was brutal. That was a backbreaker, and that was a very hard hit. That had a a, a pretty damn high uh, expected batting average. I I think Thomas Boswell, who has probably known more about, has probably forgotten more about baseball than I will ever know. Um, and he literally has covered all three 
Washington baseball franchises, by the way, I think said it best when he said every World Series, no matter how few or many games they go, there are one or two in the hat games where the baseball gods draw a name out of the hat and the team that gets the first one is normally the team that wins. And the Nats' name got got drawn out of the hat in game one and they went up one nothing in Houston and, and kind of shocked, you know, the Astros. So we're talking we, we're talking about men left on base a little bit yeah i, I just want so the the game is going on as we speak uh it is in the top of the fifth so really it's it, it's kind of amazing that that rai rai is able to speak at all with the game going on right really a, a, a testament to his dedication to this pod you're welcome you're welcome world <laughs> so right now in the top of the fifth the nationals have 13 men left on base to the astros eight yeah if if either of these teams start deciding to get you know big hits when they matter uh, that's that's when you're going to see a series swing yeah and, and by the way here's the thing the astros bullpen has already pitched a, a fair number of innings granky is already at his high for the postseason at the end of the fourth inning in game three but back to game to game two now yikes you know, I, I made this analogy earlier today, and I think it's really, really good. I, I don't know if you've ever... Uh, I'm, trying to th- I'm, trying to think of, I'm trying to think of it now. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there was a documentary done for Netflix, and it was about this, like, seventh-degree black belt in karate who decided to go do mixed martial arts. And his first-ever fight... He trained in karate and trained strikes and everything and learned the difference between karate and MMA strikes, but never learned takedowns and things like that. And got in his first fight and thought like, okay, this could be like karate fighting that and just got punched in the face because he had his guard down and got his nose busted open. And it's like he fought tighter after that. And it was like the Astros got tight in game two and made the first mistake and it just compounded. Yeah, that was kind of a Murphy's Law game for the Astros. Yeah. It's just everything that could have went wrong went wrong. Yeah. And at the worst possible time. But, I mean, so that's one thing. But there's been a trend in this postseason from Justin Verlander that has got to be concerning if the Astros pull their way back into this series. If it goes to, you know, games five, six, seven, Verlander's going to start again. And I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if Garrett Cole is starting again is a good thing either. Well, I, 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 I like I, so I'm I'm more trusting of Cole than Verlander right now. Yeah, Cole Cole's had one bad start since basically the middle of May. Yeah, and it wasn't even terrible. He gave up. He he did give up. I think it was four pretty hard hit balls to the Astros. The uh, the two to Soto, one to. Uh, Zimmerman and then one more that I'm forgetting but you know he's allowed he's allowed to have a bad start came at a bad time but it's one bad start Verlander on the other hand this whole postseason his run totals per start have been zero four two four four yeah so one shutdown start one pretty good start and then four not good starts you can't have your starter giving up four runs in six innings or less in the playoffs and hope to come away with a victory. 
So overall in the playoffs this year, he's got an ERA of 4.15, a 1-3 record, and a whip of 1.19. Yeah. That, that 1.19 sounds good, but his whip in the regular season was 0.8. So that means his whip is literally 50% higher than it was in the regular season. Yeah. For someone, for, for, you know, for as good of a pitcher as he is, Verlander is very home run prone. So yeah. the him giving up so few base runners is how he was able to be so good regardless of the home runs. Yeah. If he's giving up 50% more base runners and still being home run prone, not a good recipe for success. No, not at all. It, 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 yeah, and it was just... I don't know. I feel like also, and it, it's undeserved on Bregman is, I think he's putting too much pressure on himself right now. Probably. But it, I, You know, you saw him make the non-error hit on Howie's single, and then the next time he had a chance to play, forced a throw, got the actual error, and gave up more runs. Yeah, I, the, the Astros don't look like they're having a good time right now. No, they don't. I mean, you know, <laughs> down 0-2, it's like, well, well, fucking duh, Chris. But no, it, it's like... They're just they they look tight. They're they don't seem to be having the, the, the body language is bad compared to the previous rounds. Yeah, it, even even versus the Yankees, there were lots of times where they got a hit. You saw the celebration. You saw the the the, the happiness, the the camaraderie. Haven't really seen much of that in the World Series. Yeah, even in Game One where it was pretty close and they got some big hits. Yeah. Which, by the way, has has been. Uh, I don't know if you saw. Uh, have you seen Umpire Audit this postseason? No. Yeah, there's a new account. I don't know how old it is. Called Umpire Audit, and he's done every single postseason game with percentage of calls that go other people's way. And uh, game one, seven calls went each team's way. I mean, on balls and strikes. Bad. It uh, was bad least. both ways. Yeah, yeah, at least that's pretty even. Yeah, it was both. It was 13 to 4 in game 2 in favor of the Astros. Bad calls or good calls? Good calls that went their way with the strike zone. Wow, and they still got stomped like that. Yeah, it's currently uh he's currently tweeted that it's 9 to 2 in game 2 in favor of the Astros. Uh-oh, conspiracy theory time. Oh yeah, right. I'm sure there won't be any tweets about that at all. Mm, um, yeah, mm-hmm, totally none at all. I roll. Yeah, it's, I, it's just I, you know, that inning was just insane. Well, we talked about Verlander a little. Yeah. And looking at more of his postseason starts historically, the name Kershaw comes to mind. Yeah. So he's now pitched in six World Series starts in his career. Yep. And he is 0-5 with a 5.73 ERA. Yes. And this is a future Hall of Famer, uh, one of the best pitchers of this generation. Uh, probably the only reason we don't talk about him as the best is because of Kershaw. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, pretty trash in the World Series. Pretty pretty garbage. Uh, also the first pitcher to have an 0-5 record in the World Series. Uh, I mean, it's always good when you're the first at something, right? Yeah, apparently. But, I mean, some of the other guys on that list who started out 0-4 um, are uh, are interesting. Uh, I've Randy Johnson is on that list, for instance, and there's some other 
I, I don't have it in front of me, but I know Randy Johnson is on that list, and that's the one everybody always points good. to. And he was pretty good too, yeah. Um, it, yeah, it was just everything. Everything bounced the Nats' way in Game One and Two, and you know they just they just got to win two or three at home, and I think the pressure's on the Astros. I think at some point we should like really dig deep into Soto and how good, well you know what Soto's actually getting some exposure now and I, I think this might be the uh, the the couple months that turn him from underrated to overrated yeah but you know that we, we've yet to see that so uh, I think at some point we should really like dig in and talk about just how good he's been yeah but, probably uh, what what happened uh, with Soto that was you know, at least in recent times, unprecedented. Uh, he was the first intentional walk by the Astros since August of 2018. He turned 21 like yesterday, guys. Today. Literally today. today. I mean, I think they've made it pretty clear that they don't want Soto to beat them in this series. He pretty much single-handedly beat them in game one. Yeah, pretty much did. And so the Astros had not intentionally walked anybody in over a calendar year. And of course, as soon as Scores they two plays later. walk someone, Scores two plays later. Them in the ass. Yeah, it's that's crazy. But that's baseball, though. It's so funny, but that's baseball. Look, if I was the analytics guy for the Dodgers and I saw them intentionally walk someone for the first time in a year and score, I would be furious. I would just be screaming. In it, you know, hopefully in a non-sexist way at at any reporters or anything, but just like, oh my god, like the one time, one time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, all right, so why don't we uh, why don't we move on to some uh, non baseball, uh, non stat based news? Teams. Yeah, not stat based yeah. news. Uh, we had four managers hired. There's still three openings, so we'll talk about them when they get filled. Obviously. Um, mm-hmm. The most well-done news of the, the offseason was uh, Joe Madden going to the Angels, or returning to the Angels, rather. Yeah, that one felt like it was uh, you know meant to be. Everyone knew that was coming. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, so we're, we're going to talk about four managerial spots being filled right yes. now. Two, two of them were like, well, duh. Yeah, we all knew that was happening. We, yeah, and we'll talk about those first. Um the question with Madden, though, is is the front office in Anaheim is getting more analytically driven. Is Madden actually analytical enough to manage the Angels? Um, we saw him butt heads with the Rays at the end, with a little bit at the Cubs at the end. Yeah. It's like, going to be I, interesting. Just because he was associated with uh, the Rays and then Epstein for a while, it's like... I just had it in my head that he was like this, like, I, I don't know, this like Zen, like Phil Jackson kind of like motivator that, but I, I thought he, because of the raise thing, I thought he was like statistically inclined too. but I feel like every time I hear him in the news lately, it's like old man yells a cloud. It, it really is. Um, I, you know, I'm going to say Davey Johnson said it best. He's a weird wuss. Oh, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't speak to the wuss <laughs> thing, but it's like. I, I just can't, like, I can't place him. I can't have my finger on, like, what kind of manager he is. Yeah. And what to expect out of him with the Angels. Yeah, it's weird. It's absolutely weird, you know. What, do, do you think that anything about the Angels in the past few years indicated that a new manager would move the needle for them? 
I don't know. You're going to have Otani at full strength next year. You're going to have Joe Adele coming up. They have stupid money to spend. Very top-heavy roster. I don't know if I don't know if any kind of a, a, any kind of managerial change was going to help them make the playoffs say next year. No, but it also signals a a shift in the front office of this is going to be the Mike Trout show and we're fine with having Mike Trout be the centerpiece and not really winning. To okay, we're taking this seriously now. It, it it's good PR. It's definitely it's good great PR. PR, and I think that is. So you hear, I, I, you hear more and more how managers are just kind of figureheads nowadays, yeah. how they don't have as much impact as they used to, how they're just kind of, you know, puppets uh, to uh, to be on display while the GM pulls the strings and the analytics teams pulls the strings behind the scenes. Uh, I, I don't know if, uh, it, do you think that's the kind of manager Madden is? Do you think he, uh, he kind of takes charge on his own or if he's just going to be a, a puppet? I think he's going to take charge of his own, and I don't know how well it's going to end in Anaheim, to be honest with you. The Anaheim Angels were one of those teams around the Yankees last year who got the most innings out of their bullpen this past year, but it wasn't because they had a strong bullpen. It was because their starting rotation just sucked that much. So, I again, I just don't think... I, I, don't, I don't think this hire is going to do a, a damn thing, really. No. There's just not enough talent on that team. And the talent that is there doesn't stay healthy. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, I think the other one that I actually think is actually probably going to end worse is David Ross to the Cubs. Really? You think that's going to end badly? I do. Um, I got to say, I think Harold Reynolds is right on this. They talked about it on MLB Network the other day. I saw him say it, and he said, the problem is, is David Ross is, a friend with a, is friends with almost all the guys in that clubhouse who were there for the World Series run. When you have to have the tough conversations and the tough moments with those guys, can you do it or are you going to soften it and try and be their friend? Because you are their friend. And that, he said, it's going to cause friction. Can that problem be solved with a good staff? Like good bench coach, good first base coach, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Does Ross need to do that all? Can he just be the friend? It's possible. Um, it's possible. What do we we know about Ross? Backup catcher. Yep. Lots of backup catchers go on to become good managers. This is true. Uh, not causation, but it's, it's, there's some correlation there. Yeah, there, there's some correlation there. I, I think if he gets a good staff and they put a good analytical staff behind him, especially at bench coach and pitching coach, I think that he maybe being the friend in that situation when those guys can have the tough conversations, it might work out. But if they don't, and he has to be that guy, I don't see it working out. Well, another thing we know about Ross is that we, we've been hearing rumbles of him taking over for Madden for, what, years? Yeah. So that means the Cubs have seen him as a managerial candidate for a long time and been grooming him, and the team's been you know prepping to have him as their manager which you know may even trickle down to as far as the players you know it, it's very possible that the players knew that this was coming so i maybe maybe uh the the stage has been set maybe they're ready for that kind of uh camaraderie with their manager as opposed to more of a uh, like like a field general yeah um yeah it's going to be interesting it will be it, it, it will, be interesting. will be interesting 
the next one, of course, uh, the big one actually is uh, Joe Girardi to the Phillies. Yeah, I like it. I think I like it. I I like it too, but I also have questions. Which right. is you went from you basically got a a upgraded version of Gabe Kapler. Well, so when Kapler got there, he was so by the book, uh, the book being the analytical book, that it infuriated the fan base uh, to start, and uh, it it was it was actually like detrimental to a point. Yes. And you might see a similar thing with Girardi, just with a different kind of book. Yeah, so Girardi, had, uh, I think people know the story by now, had a book that was based off of matchups that had previously happened between people that he had witnessed as a manager, charted all of his decisions down, and basically had a book that had all of his experiences managing in it that he could draw from in different situations. Not analytics, but the eye test that he saw himself from the dugout. And lived and managed by that book and so when the Yankees got more analytical and tried to change that book over to the analytics book like the Phillies used he rejected a lot of it and that's what caused the friction that caused him to leave New York and I you you have to wonder like you, you see this a lot with managerial changes where a managerial change also means a philosophical change so you do, you can see a swing like that where they go from way in the analytical direction to way in the old school direction, uh, because yeah, you know, otherwise, why are you making a managerial change? Yeah. So you know, I don't know. Uh, he's also a no nonsense kind of guy, who 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 like Kapler doesn't take crap from any of his players. So I'm supposedly, not. I'm supposedly did not get along with young guys. Uh, yeah, and so I'm I'm. I am legitimately wondering if it's going to end up the same in two years from now. We're going to talk about them hiring somebody else, you know. It's possible. I mean, uh, if they don't succeed next year uh, and the year after, like a scapegoat's going to be needed because they are going all in. Yeah, and they kind of have to go all in with the uh, minor news that they're apparently not willing to go over $100 million on any level of extension with Real Muto and the talks have broken off completely. Which is wild because Real Muto was legitimately their best player. Yeah. And uh, so on to our last managerial change. Who? Hire. Who? What the What the hell is a Jace Tingler? Um. Apparently, a really, really good analytically driven hitting coach who's getting a chance to manage with the Padres. I feel like if I was going to be surrounded by professional athletes and wanted to be taken seriously, I'd have changed my name legally from Tingler a long time ago. To literally anything. Um, literally anything else. I am serious serious with this, though. Um, everything I have read about him in terms of how he handles the analytics of hitting and fielding, the Padres love him because he of his analytics for shifts and analytics for hitting launch angle, all that kind of stuff that they want to implement. And because he is a young guy, they think, or a younger option than a lot of these other managers, that he's going to fit in with this younger team more. So my thinking is, if it's a hire that, like, I'm going to say most baseball fans have literally never heard the name before, it's probably either 
a really, 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 really bad hire or a really, 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 really good hire. Yeah. Like either either he's so good at what he does that he doesn't need name recognition, he doesn't need a body of work, or he has no experience and he's going to be very bad. Like what? One or the other. Yeah, I I and I honestly have no idea which one this is going to be from from Not what I've much. read from what I've read of what he did with the Rangers. Um, a lot of the players there have talked a lot about how he's helped their defense and their hitting. Um, he was their minor league coordinator for a while before when a bunch of them got called up working with the major league team. So he likes working with the younger players, and so I think that fits in with the Padres. It's just his body of work. Will it translate into being a first-time manager? It will be interesting. We're, I do, and I mean, I I think it's well established here. I like interesting things, so I, I'm in. Give me, worst, give me more tingling. Worst case, they hire Bruce Bochy next offseason. That that would be a, a slingshot of a philosophy. He's he's all he's already said that he's only thinking about taking one year off. So can't wait to have him back already. Yeah, right. I I miss him. I miss him already. <laughs> so we're at the end of the year. Yes. Which for MLB the show means the finest cards are coming out. Absolutely coming out. Yeah. And since our last podcast, since we're doing this on a Friday, two new batches of finest cards have come out. Yes. General thoughts on the 30 we've gotten. Uh, there's a few misses uh, yeah. and a lot of hits. Yeah, same. I totally agree. So I've actually, I've got my, I've got my MLB The Show pulled up right now to take a look at some of these cards. And a lot of them are just huge wins. Like Cattell Marte, love it. Uh, Francisco Lindor, always a good card, good swing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you got guys like, did, did we really need a 96 Austin Meadows? Eh, do we really need a, a 1% higher, better Josh Bell? Is it even 1% better? Like, yes, it is. It is one point higher. It's a 97 versus a 96. Like, uh, 98, 98. Oh, 98. Sorry, two points better. So we got a lit Arenado. Yeah. The Rendon was great. We got a, another Jordan Alvarez who is just, it, it's, it's just like, a, it's like a Russian nesting doll of Jordan Alvarez's where it's like the, the, the diamond is slightly better than the gold and then the finest is slightly better than the diamond. Yeah. The Eugenio Suarez has power from the right and left of 120 and 125. I got I got him for my All Reds team. I can't wait to put I, him on there. Did you happen to notice that he's a gold defender? Yes. With shortstop eligibility? Yes. What is that? I know. What what is that? Uh so yeah, some hits, some misses. But uh so the batch before this the batch before today, who was in that one? Mm-hmm. We had, uh, oh, Yusmani Grandal came out today, too. Flaherty. Yeah. Um, Tatis Jr. That that Tatis Jr. looks nice. Yeah, I, I, and I gotta say, I really like the locks so far. The, have they released locks? Yeah, they've released they've released two locks already. The so, 99 Real Muto and the 99 um, Yates. Yates. Through the collection. And, Speaking of those two locks, you said there's two out. There's three. Did you see today's lock? No, I did not. Oh, Garrett Cole. 99. Oh, that Gar- Garrett Cole's the collection, the third collection one. Yes. So that's the third lock. Okay, I like all three of them. I have seen the stats on that card. 125K for nine. 
112 hit per nine, 97 velocity, 95 break, 90 control, 113 clutch. That card is amazing. Yeah. He's got a 99-mile-an-hour fastball and an 82-mile-an-hour knuckle curve for some nice differential. Yeah. The two-seamer comes in at 96. That card is awesome. And did you see the supposed leak? That the ninth-inning oh, program is going to actually be a finest program with three yeah. finest bosses, including what it was it Lemayhu and Asuna, and I can't remember the third one. It's not totally unexpected. We we did kind of think that when, when we heard that there were 47 finest, we did think that there was going to be some involved in the program. I actually I wonder if you're going to see some in the 200 spot and the, the you know the the previous packs too on the way to 300. I think that might be the thing. Um, I could see six locks being in there. I could see a 99 overall pack lock packet at 200 as well. Yeah, I, I wonder. I well, that probably won't be the fan vote guys, right? Yeah, I no, I got it. The program. I could see three fan vote people be. Oh wait, the fan votes already done, aren't they? They're all out, aren't they? Or there's still some left. Uh, four, eight, twelve, sixteen, twenty, twenty-four, twenty-seven. So far, twenty-seven. So five to go. Sorry, one one of them is Baez. So uh, six to go. So three and one hundred and three and two hundred. Could be possible. We'll see. But yeah, I mean the 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 gist of what we're saying is there's a lot of fun new cards in the last month or so. Yeah, and we still we're still gonna get the World Series cards later, of course, too. Um, which should be fun, uh, and and all that. So, did you like any of the playoff cards that they released? Uh, I thought that Robles was lit. Imagine, imagine having a Robles that can field. Yeah, crazy. I I I told you guys in Discord. I'm gonna get it on the podcast. I said it back in I think July that it is it, the live balance team at SDS should be embarrassed with how they treated Victor Robles this year when he wins the gold glove in center field and has bronze defense in game. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one because at some point I had like 650 Robles thinking that he was a lock for gold with his defense and base running. Yeah. I, I know they're I know they're not going to do it because they've kind of announced all of their 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 um cards for the year, but I would be interested in seeing gold glove and silver slugger cards in the game yeah. at some point in the future. I feel like, like, let's say someone with a gold glove that has like a bronze glove in game, like uh, Robles or whatever. Yeah. I feel like releasing a good card if he wins a gold glove is just kind of like admitting your own mistake. So I, I don't know if they would do that. Yeah, I don't know if they would do it either. But to see like, even if they weren't like a really good batter, seeing like a juiced defense card, like even if it was like an 86, it had like 125 in all the defensive categories or whatever, if they won the platinum glove even though they didn't bat very well seeing that type of card. I think that would be interesting. I don't know. We'll we'll yeah. we'll talk a lot more about this once the season's over. Probably. Are, are you are you happy to finally have the card you've been waiting for all year? A 92 Anibal Sanchez? Yes, I am. I'm very very excited. Very excited about that one. Also that you know, 80 actually... what the 89 Howie too? Uh 90. 90. I thought it was 89. Wow. Yeah, I, they gave uh, they gave Jose Martinez a ninety for being the only Cardinal I think to get a hit against the Nationals. Oh wow! Uh, yikes! Yikes! Yeah, yikes! There's a, yikes. There's, a, there's a Zach Britton that looks awesome. Uh, yeah, I like the Zach Britton look too. Aaron Hicks, Ryan Helsley, wow, lots of interesting cards from that playoff pack too. But uh, any uh, any real life packs you want to talk about? Any breaks coming up? 
Um, they still have Bowman Chrome in stock. They still have Pop Century in stock over at, at Breaking Company. Um, they had their break last night. Uh, they're talking about doing one again Sunday night. Um, so if you're interested in getting in those, the flash breaks are pretty great um, right now. And there is a lot of product coming up if you're interested. Um, in uh, later this month, or next month, or beginning of next month, um, High Tech Drops, Prism Draft Pick comes out, Bowman's Best comes out, and a lot of them, if you are interested in investing, investing in cards, um, and getting prospect cards for your team, this is the time to get into card breaks, and I think that's the best way to uh, word that. But uh, you can also get some really, really lit, like, power producer cards. Um, this Last year, Juan Soto was one of the ones they chose. This year, uh, the rookie card power producers will be Pete Alonzo. Nice. And it is a very, very cool-looking card. Nah. I'm going to get you on a break whether you like it or not at some point. You are good. You are gonna like. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Fine, but you have to tell my girlfriend. Oh my honest, god. I, I got engaged, by the way. Yeah, I was gonna drop that at the end of the show. I was gonna be on that bombshell, but uh, yeah, yeah, there, me. there is that bombshell. Congratulations, congratulations on the engagement, sir. Um, enjoy it. I like being contractually obligated to be miserable instead of just doing it by choice. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that works. That <laughs> works. That's pretty, pretty good description. Uh, on that bombshell. I feel like we need to thank our patrons, Chris, Jaron, and of course, Real Good Murph, who is also a breaking company regular um, and kind of got me more into doing breaks um, because he is an enabler. So thank you for that. Um, with that, I'm going to go run and watch the end of this baseball game. So two men on base right now. I know. For Schwebzy, this is Rai Rai signing off. Until next week. See you then. <laughs>